Have you guys ever heard the phrase, the writing is on the wall? It's a that's a common idiom. You know, you might say that the writing's on the wall when, well, I, you know, I might say that if, if everyone else in my family is sick and I'm the last one, I'm like, oh, the writing's on the wall. Um, there's, there's a lot of that going around right now, it seems like. Or you might say, you might say that phrase when, if maybe you see somebody that's dating, but then they start drifting in different directions. You're like, oh, the writing's on the wall for that relationship. Or, you know, you might just be looking around at, at policies and things being, uh, laws being passed in our city or our state or our country, and you're like, oh, the writing is on the wall for how this is going to turn out. And so that phrase, maybe you've used it before. It's, it's, it's kind of like you're saying there's a warning sign that something unpleasant is about to happen, that doom is impending. Do you know where that phrase came from? The writing is on the wall? Well, my name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights Church. I'm really glad that you're here. And I'm gonna actually take you back in time, approximately 2,500 years to the origin of that phrase. And it comes from a story that's so memorable that it's made its way through the centuries. And this story that you're about to hear today is very easy to relate to. You may find a connection to your own life today. In fact, things might get a little personal today. I'll just, I'll just warn you up front, it might get a little personal. And uh, so we're in, we're in chapter five of the book of Daniel, and we've been reading uh, chapter by chapter, walking through this message series called From Captured to Courageous. And uh, basically, we're looking at how Daniel, he was a prophet, he was a man of God that was captured, brought into Babylon, he was in exile there, actually a lot of Jews were, and it was very difficult to be living in a foreign place where they were trying to, they tried to just wipe away all the, the past history of, of Israel and the Hebrews from them and just make them Babylonians, and he had to figure out, how do I, how do I endure and trust God, actually really honor God in a very godless society, and so that's, that's kind of the context for the series that we're going through today. But our message today, I'm, I'll, give you, I'll give you one point right up front. The, the focus for today is going to be that everyone is accountable to God and His standards. Everyone is accountable to God and His standards. And that's, that's what we'll be looking at. And so it, it, whether, whether you're a follower of Jesus or, or not, maybe you're exploring what it means to be a Christian. You're, it doesn't matter, actually, we're still accountable. Whether, whether you're a churchgoer or just a regular old American walking through life, you're accountable to God. Or even if you're a world leader of a powerful empire or a really powerful country, you're still accountable to God. We're, we, all, we all are. And there's one very powerful king who learned this the hard way. And so we're going to jump in. I'm going to read some from Daniel chapter 5. This is my Bible. And since I'm going to be reading through some text, um, you, you can, you'll be able to listen along. And then when we get to some key verses, I'm going to throw them up on the screen. What I'm reading today from Daniel chapter 5, this is the, the Christian Standard Bible. And so I'm going to jump right in. And then I'll, I'll give a little explanation after I read these first few verses. All right, it says, King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. King Belshazzar was the king of Babylon at this time. And under the influence of the wine, so there's a lot of drinking going on, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. 
so that the kings and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, so check out this picture of Babylon. This is, uh, this is like an artistic, you know, it's like an illustration. But I like this picture because you get an idea of um, kind of like the magnitude, just like the structure. Actually, those gates, those blue gates uh, into the city, um, they've, they, they're, those are in a museum in Germany. I'll, later in the, in the message, I'm going to show you a picture of the gates that they have now. But um, just a, a huge empire. It really was taking over their corner of the planet during this time. And so here we have a supremely powerful nation who just beat down any opposition. And they just extended their reach. And so Jerusalem, where, where little old Daniel comes from, Jerusalem was just a memory. It had been captured and destroyed, and it's all its people exiled at this point in the story. And so here, here we have this king, king of Babylon, at this party, a lot of wine, a lot of women, a lot of merriment happening. So he's probably thinking, why shouldn't I flaunt our position in the world with, with why shouldn't we just enjoy a carnal party and praise our gods that got us here? You know, it's, it, was, it was bad enough that the Babylonians... First of all, they took all the sacred items from the temple of God in Jerusalem. But now this younger king, and this isn't even the king that actually did all the capturing. <laughs> he's, uh, he's received the throne. And he's an arrogant guy. He's having the, and he's, he's, they're taking all the vessels, the cups and the, the goblets from the temple of God, and they're using them in a very disgraceful way. So all the men, he and all his men got to enjoy plenty of drink and plenty of women. And I'm sure they had other goblets on hand that they could have used. But he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the goblets from that temple of, of the Hebrew God. And it's a pretty arrogant move. And he probably thought, look how untouchable I am. Look at this. The God of Israel can't stop us now. We're just, we're just going to use all their golden stuff at these for their worship. This, this was, as it turns out, the straw that broke the camel's back. In truth, God had been patiently waiting by, letting Babylon fill up their sins to the full measure. And they had done a lot of really awful things. They were known for brutal violence and just destroying people, killing people on whims, large amounts of people. And God was finally ready to step in, and it, it took this occasion for that to, to be unleashed. And so verse 5, this is, this is on the screen. I want you to see what happens next. This is... This is where that phrase comes from. At that moment, right in the middle of the party, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale, and he, as his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together, the king shouted to bring in the mediums, Chaldeans, diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. He's very, very desperate to find out what is the writing on the wall. He'll give anything, basically. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face turned pale, and his nobles were bewildered. Uh, there's a painting of this scene. And so the big party, 
came to a screeching halt. You know, to see something, on the one hand, you might think, like, this was pretty, this was like a, a miracle. Like, who, who's ever seen a giant hand writing on a wall? You might almost think this would be, like, exciting and, and awe-inspiring and, like, delightful to witness in a miracle. But that's, that's not what happened. That's not how he felt. The king's blood drained out of his face. His stomach dropped. His knees are weak and shaking, and I believe at this moment, he's not delighted. He probably has a sense that he's in trouble. He probably knows. Either it's his conscience, or the Holy Spirit, or something's happening where he's like, I'm in a lot of trouble, I think. And that's probably why he felt that way. So, you know, even, even though he had really dulled his conscience with a lot of wine, he snapped out of it pretty fast when this happened. So for this arrogant king, the writing was on the wall. I don't know if you've ever had that sinking feeling where you know that you're in trouble. Like you did something, you crossed the line, and you're like, oh, you're going you're gonna to hear it from your boss, or there's somebody that's in, in some kind of authority. Or like, you know, you're like, you know, the judgment's about to come. Like, oh my gosh, you're only in that period between receiving the judgment. I actually had a, a moment like that when I was, when I was dating Erin, actually. And uh, we, were, we were hanging out one night. I dropped her off at home, and her parents weren't home. And they only had one, they really, they had a rule that no boys in the house, which I think that relaxed over time, but Aaron was the, the first daughter. So like, you know, I had, I, had all, I had to go through all the hard rules. And um, so it was, it was against her dad's rules for me to go into the house, which actually I would pro- I'll, I'll probably use that rule for my kids later, <laughs> I think actually. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time I was thinking, hey, what's the big deal? Like, I'm just gonna drop her off, you know, finish our conversation that we're having. She wanted to show me some of her artwork that she'd done in high school, so I wanted to see that. And uh, so I went in, we spent some time, and then I left. And I went home not thinking a second thought about it. The next day, Erin called me, and she says, um, you need to come back. My dad found your wallet in his armchair. I was like, oh, no. I was like, my wallet has never slipped out of my pocket before. Like, how does that even happen? Her dad's probably thinking, like, what were you doing? That your wallet slipped out of your pocket in my armchair. And so here we are, and um, I'm in trouble with my girlfriend's dad. This is not good. So that, that set me back. I'm trying to, like, win some respect, and I probably obliterated it at that point. We didn't get married, though, so I made it through that one. Um, but I don't know if you've, you've ever been in trouble, and there's no way out of it. Like, I couldn't. I mean, my wallet had my picture on it, so like, it's like it was—it's not mine. I don't know. I don't know. No, like sometimes you're you're in trouble and you just there's nothing you can do about it. You're you will be brought to account and you will have to face the consequences. That happens. I really hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of knowing it's coming. So that's I think what King Belshazzar is feeling in this moment. Um, I don't know how you would feel if you were in his shoes. How would you feel if you're not in trouble with like an in-law, but you were in trouble with the God of the universe. And here is God writing all of your secret, hidden sins and wrongdoings on the wall for everyone to see, knowing that he's about to bring you to account. Knowing that God has said, it's reckoning time. Now that would be, I think I might feel similar to how he felt in this story. The truth is, we are all accountable to God. We're all guilty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, we all start out in a really bad way with God. 
And this story is so unusual, though, because God rarely comes forward in such a visible way to alarm a person of their guilt. You know, God has a thousand ways of letting us know that we're guilty. <laughs> you know, we could, he, if he wanted, he could summon all of the sins of my past and bring them to my mind and my remembrance in just a moment if he wanted to. He could write my guilt on a wall. He could write it in the sky. He could point out the things that I've done wrong on, on a wall where all my friends were hanging out. But most often, it seems like God writes our guilt as on our minds, sometimes as plainly as if it was written on paper. And so, as King Belshazzar is feeling the very heavy weight of his guilt, his sense of accountability to God is growing. Sometimes you can, that, that sense of accountability, you can just kind of shrug it off, like, I'm good, I'm good. Well, it's growing. He can't, he can't get around it now. The fact that he, the God that he was so happy to disrespect has now become a force to reckon with. And so in verse 10, let me just read this, what happens next. Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, so here, it's Daniel, the mystery, the mystery, you know, revealer of mysteries is Daniel. Um, your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one that the king had, had named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give you the interpretation. So they're about to bring Daniel in, and he is a very old man now. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard uh, what happened in Daniel chapter 4. That was when King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and Daniel came in to reveal the meaning of a dream. Daniel's probably in his 50s at that time. Uh, in Daniel chapter 4. Now, this is much later. This is probably about 30 years later. So Daniel may be in his 80s. And that's probably why they kind of like forgot about him. Hey, there was a guy. Like, it's pretty amazing what Daniel did, but they, apparently they forgot about him. He's in his 80s. He's probably old. And um, so, that, so they finally bring him in. And here's what it says. Let me read this again. So then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king said to him, Are you Daniel? one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah. I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you, and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the mediums were brought before me to read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you, that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, and here's his great offer again. You'll be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom, which I think Daniel had already had. <laughs> and um, once again, we see that God had very uniquely positioned Daniel to have tremendous influence over a world leader. And Daniel's reputation had preceded him. He remained, throughout this whole book, he had remained enduringly faithful to God in a very hostile, difficult place to live. Daniel at points was 
very willing to risk his life in order to obey God. He would not compromise on a single thing that God said. And God kept protecting him and promoting him. So Daniel's response to the king draws out another important concept that's really helpful for us to know is that people sometimes disregard God even when they know better. So we're going we're gonna to actually see what he says to the king. It's, it's amazing what he says to the king, but sometimes people disregard God and they knew, they knew better. They did it knowingly. Um, this king is accountable to God, but in, in, in Belshazzar, he, he did know better. He had learned about the big ways that God intervened in Babylon's history. So it's not a secret what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, things that had happened in the past. God had really displayed his power and supremacy over the Babylonian gods. So Daniel now takes this opportunity to remind him about those things. In verse 17, I'm going to read this. Daniel answered the king. So after he you know, says, you get a gold chain, third highest position, Daniel says, you can keep your gifts. <laughs> he says, give your rewards to somebody else. He's like, I don't, what am I going to, I just follow God. I don't need all this stuff, the glamorous stuff. It says, give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, and glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, the previous king of Babylon. There's actually a few kings in the past. Um, and it says, uh, because of the greatness that God gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. Nebuchadnezzar killed anyone he wanted. And he kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. And, and so here's, here's the real salient part that Daniel reminds him. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart exalted, had exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. This is chapter 4, what we learned about last week. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. But you, all right, I think, I think I have this one on the screen. So this is, this kind of, I guess, here's a little, a little more condemning, I guess. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. This is not news. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you and your no nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, um, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. And I actually really, really like this verse. You have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and, and who controls the whole course of your life. I actually really, the thing that I do love about this verse, oh yeah, so therefore he sent a hand and this writing was inscribed. Go back to the last slide real quick, yeah. So this verse that's highlighted here, it has a way of shrinking us back down to our appropriate size because we must never forget who holds our life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of our lives. We can very easily forget that actually God is very, very involved in all the details. We make our own decisions. We do have free will. And because we seem to have unending oxygen to breathe, we're all breathing right now, and it's effortless and, you know, it's air, we can actually forget that God is the one behind it all, and he's the one that supplies all that stuff. 
This actually, it, this reminds me of Proverbs 16.9, where it says, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. And so kind of knowing about how the free will and the sovereignty of God all blend together can be a little bit of a mind trip sometimes, but they do. And somehow we do have free will, and somehow God is in control of it all. So our, our free will fits under God's sovereignty and his control over all of human activity. So imagine, so if we think about this for a second, so this is kind of like a day of reckoning for Belshazzar and the writing's on the wall, something bad, you probably already know, something bad is about to happen. Um, now imagine if, if someone sinned, a giant finger from the sky came out and just squished them into the carpet or the concrete. And you realized, oh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. You're going to be like, okay, so that's against God's rules. I'm not doing that. Um, I think there'd be a lot of really holy people who, <laughs> who would take God seriously, right? Um, but God doesn't do that. As soon as a person crosses a line, there isn't a giant finger that squishes them because if that was his approach, there would be nothing but squish marks by lunch across the whole planet. There, that's, there would there'd be none of us left in a hurry. Also, the other reason that that doesn't happen is God is very patient and he's very kind. He bears with us. He bears with people. He gives time for people to repent. He, may, he, you know, he speaks to us in different ways and he speaks to us through his word, through people, through our, our own minds, and he gives time for repentance to happen. So what can happen is I sin and then nothing happens. All right, okay. I, you know, I mean, cross the line again, nothing bad happens. Cross the line, man, I can get away with this. This must not be that important to God. And then all of a sudden, their judgment comes. Bam! There's consequences. There can be real, God does bring judgment in a variety of forms, and we, there, 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 are, there are laws that we cannot break that God brings accountability. And when that happens, what very often we say is, what is wrong with you, God? What is the matter? Like, why did you let this bad thing happen to me? Bad things are not always a result of sin, but sometimes we do sin, and then God does bring consequences, and we think, what God, is, he is so awful. Actually, God is very kind. The opposite is true. God is not awful. He has been, he has been patient all this time. And so Daniel had said to the king, you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew that God is sovereign over all these things. So why, why do we do this? Why do we also disregard God and his ways, even though we know better? I think it's because we think we can get away with it. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes we'll be, we're doing life and just makes sense. I'm just going to do what I feel like. I'm going to do what looks good. And sometimes we can get into thinking, like, I'm untouchable. I don't need to worry about this area. And I think a guy like Belshazzar, who's very outside of God's guidelines, would say, I'm untouchable. I mean, that's probably why he threw that big party in the first place. He may feel like an NFL player with smooth jukes, like, oh, God, I'm going to throw a juke on, on God. I can, get, I can get around this judgment. So I'm going to, just to kind of give you an idea of like the jukes that we think we can throw on God, I'm going to show you a video of juke highlights from, you know, it's football season right now, so Monday Night Football. So um, here, here and, and as you watch the jukes, you can, you can think, could I really fake out God and slip past him? So check this out. I might chip off, man. I got this here.
Smooth. That song can't be moved, can't be touched. <laughs> That's how you feel sometimes. I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to be honest in life. None of us are that smooth. <laughs> We're just not. And when it, comes, when it comes to daily living, the reality is every day we live is a gift from God. We can't see him, but he does control the whole course of our lives, and he notices every step that we take whether it's good or whether it's evil. So, you know, maybe, maybe think I'm untouchable. I can do this or I can handle this or I can, I can just do what I want and I'll be fine. You might ask yourself right now, just in what areas of my life am I being wise in my own eyes? Like Belshazzar was. Where am I being wise in my own eyes? Are there things where I'm trying to sneak something past God? Yeah, I know what he says. I know what God says, but I'm just, just going to do it this way. Or where in your life would you say, I, I know better, I, sh- I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I can, I can get past the consequences. You know, our, our culture loves the idea of getting past the consequences and just kind of slipping out of accountability. Um, some great movies that I actually do recommend you watch are uh, Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Look at that guy. Look at that handsome guy. Tom Cruise. So the thing about these movies that's fun to watch is every time he gets in trouble, what happens? He just gets right out of it. He, I don't know how many scenes he's like in, a, in an office and commander's just reaming him out. And then a call comes in like, oh, you need to report for duty at this promoted position. He's like, poo, see ya. <laughs> or like in the, in the most recent movie, I won't, won't spoil it too much, but you know, the, he finally gets judgment, permanently grounded. And then he just smiles. And then that smile, you know, he, what, is that, what is the line from the movie? They're like, why are you smiling like that? He's like, it's the only one I got. <laughs> so here's, here's a really smooth guy. And what, what Maverick tells us is that you can always squeeze out of trouble no matter how rebellious you are. So just go ahead and do whatever the heck you want. And you can just get out of it. If you're, if you're smooth enough, you can get out of it. What we have to do is actually look at reality, <laughs> not what Hollywood says. And we've got to watch out for some things. We've got to watch out for our desires. So we've got, you've, you and I, we've got some things in our heart that we want that can take us very off course. You could be feeling really strongly about something. You could actually, actually, you could even have a piece about something. And you say, That's a piece of, uh, God gave me a piece about it. And you could really move in a direction. It's actually not a piece from God. It's your desires that are moving you there. You've got to watch out for that. You've also got to watch out for a double life. Where a double life is when you live a more pure, more holy, respectful life around certain people. And then when I'm around these other guys, though, or these other gals, eh, I can let things slide a little bit. You know, this is, this is kind of how we do it. And that's a double life. Or you've got to watch out for a double motive. Where... You know what? I want to do something very honorable, and I'm going to do something that's good and respectful. I'll serve, or I'll help out, or I'll give. But you know what? If I do, I actually get something out of it, too. And um, actually, the real reason I'm doing it is because I kind of get some recognition, or I get some, some feedback. Or The reason I'm doing it is for the... But it looks really good, though, on the outside. We've got to watch out for that. Or another thing we have to watch out for is disregard, which this is, I just don't really want to do it God's way. 
I, you know, in fact, I live in the real world. I'm going to do it the way the real world does it. I know the Bible says it this way, but that's just not how it works. And we got to watch out for these things. That last one in particular, the disregard, that is what got Belshazzar in hot water. Daniel finally gives the king the interpretation of the writing on the wall. The thing that he was very desperate to know. And what we learn from the rest of this story is that disregard for God is deadly. Disregard for God is deadly. The handwriting on the wall was in Hebrew, which it's not like it was like mystical characters. It's like a, it was a real language. And this was the language of Israel. This, of, of course, God would use Hebrew. This is the language of the God of the Hebrews. And it really, in a way, it kind of just reinforces the point that the Babylonians didn't care to know anything that God had said, didn't care to know anything that God had written. That's, well, at least up until now. They got, they, they, God got their intention now, but that's why all those other uh, magicians and Chaldeans, they couldn't interpret this because nobody else knew what Hebrew was. So Daniel's like, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> this is my language. And so Daniel says, verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed, mene, mene, tekel, perzin. Those are the Hebrew words. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Okay, that was the interpretation. This is, this is the judgment. He's off track. Judgment day. The kingdom's coming to an end. He's been found wanting. And here's, here's how it resolves. The resolution of the story comes here in, in verse 29. It says, Then Belshazzar gave an order, and well, they, uh, so they did, actually. They clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. But that all had to happen pretty quick because of what happens next. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom at the age of 62. So this was a very big moment in the history of Babylon. This actually, this is a, this is a historical record, and we kind of see kind of the, the, the underpinnings of what happened. But um, this story marks the fall of the mighty Babylon. So imagine in our world the strongest country that you know, or imagine a really, really strong country in our world right now that just basically seemed untouchable. And then overnight, it's taken over. That's what happened here. It was, it was wiped out overnight. God had, had foretold that this would happen, and historians have written about this since it's happened. So this story gives us the background to the crumbling of one of the world's mightiest empires. So check out this picture. Um, this is another illustration. This is the enemy approaching. Again, you see the gates there. They have those um, animals printed on, on the gates of Babylon. What was happening is the big party was going on in the palace. Everyone's drinking and spending time together, and the enemy, these guys, the nation of the Medes, was slipping through the gates. Darius was the ruler of the Medes. The historical accounts show that Cyrus was the military commander who secretly infiltrated Babylon. So Xenophon was a Greek historian and a student of Socrates who wrote about the fall of Babylon. 
And so he's got this history, and he recorded that the army of the Medes, they drained off some of the protective waters of the Euphrates so that they could pass in through this, to the city through the, the water channel. And the soldiers entered the city with very little resistance. Everyone was really preoccupied, it seemed like. Um, actually, it says, this, Xenophon wrote, when they entered, it seemed the whole city seemed to be given up to revelry. So as they passed through, they did kill some people on their way to the palace. Um, other Babylonians like saw what was happening and they raised a big commotion, but the soldiers just acted like they were a part of the party. They like, all like marched into the palace, going as fast as they could though. They were trying to get to the king. Just, they wanted this to be a decisive takeover. And when they entered the palace, it was shortly after the whole writing on the wall story happened. And it's the scene with Daniel when these guys arrive. So King Belshazzar and all of his officers were killed on the spot. So what God had said about the judgment day and your kingdom has come to an end, it was like minutes or a few hours later that it actually happened. Today you can find the gates of Babylon at a museum in Berlin, Germany. And um, you can see, you know, they're big and impressive. And um, it's kind of, it is kind of cool that you can see aspects of history preserved today. But you just, you know, you get this idea in this story that Babylon was huge and powerful and the kings were powerful as well. But this story, it really shows us that disregard for God makes the strongest people open to infiltration. The city got infiltrated and a lot of destruction took place. Disregard for God makes even the strongest of us open to infiltration. Judgment finally caught up with Belshazzar. He did not give glory to God. He did not factor God into his life. He couldn't pull a fast one on the God of the Hebrews, as it turns out. You know, he thought he could juke his way through life. He was untouchable. In, in football, uh, you know, this is called Here Comes the Boom. <laughs> when a guy gets hit, it turns out sometimes you run in and you, you receive what's coming to you. That's, you know, like a guy like this. It's, he got hit so hard his helmet flew off. <laughs> and... Um, so this, this accountability, when we, when, we do, when we do come up against accountability, it can be very painful. And it seems like maybe the more proud or the more arrogant we are, or more disregarding of God's ways we are, the harder it hits. And of course, the hardest hit is receiving ultimate judgment from God. But just to kind of like bring out the football illustration a little bit further, Here's, here's what it looks like to, when, when guy, you know, this is an illustration of what it looks like to receive judgment. So check this out. Painful. That is painful. Here comes the boom. That was the song, Here Comes the Boom. <laughs> you know, we want, to, um, we, wanna, we want to just juke our way past consequences and do what we want. We're smooth. We can, don't have to, how seriously do we have to take this? How, how exactly do I have to follow this? I could get around some things. I wouldn't recommend that so much. It is very painful. This is painful to watch, this football clip. It's even more painful to walk straight into God's consequences in life. We can take hits 
that have even more lasting damage than being knocked down on a field. We can actually, we can take hits and receive consequences that last for years. Very, very painful things can happen. And of course, like I mentioned, the, the, the pain is even worse with his final eternal judgment. The sad reality is that whenever we do live with disregard for God, we are setting ourselves up for judgment. Accountability will come. Because we all have fallen short of God's glory, no one gets to escape it. Nobody sneaks past. The whole reason that Jesus came to die was to rescue us from the pain and the ultimate death. In the end, God, God's kingdom, and God's people will get the win. God will get the win. And, we, and, and those that follow him will, will get the win with him. The victory will be decisive. Daniel chapter 5 is a story that really shows us strongly that all are accountable, every single one of us. doesn't matter if you know God or don't know God or if you like him or don't like him. We're all accountable. You might be able to identify with something in this story because at times we, we can see that the writing's on the wall in our own lives. It, maybe, maybe the writing's on the wall if there's any area in your life of unrepentant disobedience. Maybe there's, if there's an area of your life where you've been disregarding God, we've got to remember that God holds our life breath in his hands and he's patient and kind. The, uh, the, very, the very breath that we breathe right now is the, the breath in our lungs. You guys are, you can't even, you can't even stop breathing right now. You have to, you, you have to keep breathing and the breath in your lungs, God is putting there himself. Like it's a gift. Thank you. Oh, thank you, God. Like there's another breath. Like I have another, like every, every breath is a gift directly from him. We forget about that. He's patient and he's kind and he gives us time to repent. Judgment caught up with this Babylonian king and the results were very deadly. But this is where our story can be different. We can look, our story can look different than King Belshazzar. For those of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, to make him your Lord and your boss of your life, you can place your faith in him today. He died on the cross for all of your sins so that you can receive salvation from the coming judgment of God. And if you've been on the fence about it, if you've been thinking about walking with God, but you know, you're just kind of maybe waiting longer, I, I would implore you, as soon as possible, be reconciled to God. Don't wait. Don't let more consequences build up or the judgment accrue any longer. Get right with God. The very air in your lungs at this moment is a gracious gift put there by God himself. So another next step for you in, in light of this today, maybe, maybe the next step for you today, um, and actually I have a few next steps and the, the worship team is going to come back to the stage at this time. Um, but think, think about these next steps. I might commit my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you. Today, you can repent of your sins. Like Belshazzar, sobered up in a moment. You too can get serious about your position before the almighty God of the universe, before the handwriting appears. For the Christian, so maybe you've already decided to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you, maybe there's an area in your life that needs to be tightened up. And quickly, Remember how all the king's friends were full of delight and merriment? There was a big party going on while the enemy was slipping under the gates. It's kind of like an unsettling thought. It, no matter how much fun you're having, it doesn't mean that you're safe. <laughs> so maybe there's an area we need to tighten up. So that, that might be one next step. 
Another next step might be to bring my desires under control. I love this verse from Proverbs 25, 28. It says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. It's a good reminder. They didn't need to break down the walls of Babylon. They just slipped on right through. But sometimes we, we can be led by our passions. And this proverb reminds us that our desires and our emotions, they can lead us around the way we feel, the way we want. And sometimes we feel good, sometimes we feel discouraged, but all of those things can lead us into danger. Actually, if we just follow what feels good all the time, we're, it's going to lead us right outside of God's boundaries. And that leaves us very vulnerable and very open to attack. So giving in to desires and emotions makes us weak. God wants us to be well defended and protected. So is there an area of your life that you need to bring under control? Or are there desires that you need to resist? And then last, another next step is to glorify the God who holds my life breath. That's kind of a reference to that verse that we read. And actually, in a moment, we're going to sing a song that talks about his breath being in our lungs. But how, how, do we, how, how can I glorify God with my life? Practically, how would you do that? Well, you can start your day with him, time reading the Bible and praying, hearing from him. We glorify him by choosing his ways, respecting his commands, taking him seriously. And we glorify God by using our resources for him, my time and my money, my energy. So during this message, I did tell you at the beginning, it's possible it might get a little personal. <laughs> uh, maybe if, if that was you, if you experienced that, maybe God is speaking to you about how you might bring more honor and recognition to him in your life. If so, if he is, if God's speaking to you or you're feeling a stir in your heart about something, respond to him. Don't let that feeling slip out. Respond to his leading. God has very good things in store for those whose hope is in him. We've got the blessed hope of eternal life that awaits us. But there's also countless blessing in, blessings in this life as well. We're very careful to obey God. There's a kind of peace that he gives. And I think one of the, one of the blessings that Christ followers can have is we can look towards the coming judgment or the end of everything without any dread. We can, we can look forward to the peace with anticipation and joy. We can look calmly at the coming judgment. So it's been, it's been an exciting ride through the book of Daniel so far. We've made it through five chapters now. If you want to continue with us next week, why don't you read chapter six on your own to get ready for next Sunday. Um, each chapter contains a pretty intense story with a very powerful message. And next week, when we, when we do get to chapter six, we're going to read how an old man in his 80s was able to shut the mouths of lions. And they were ravenous, too. So it'll be exciting to, to learn more about how to trust God in, in those kinds of moments. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your kindness and your patience and your word. And it is really as helpful for us to know um, how in control you are. And so I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to people individually in their own lives about how they can bring more glory and honor to you. Would you give us courage and peace in taking the right next steps in honoring you? Uh, we thank you for your help and your blessing this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.